on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. Sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord away. I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciple, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. Amen. Kids, as you listen to my sermon today, I want you to have your ears open, and I want you to count how many times you hear the word hope. When comedian Tig Nataro was in the sixth grade, she took a music class that covered all kinds of music, from Beethoven all the way to The Who. A few years ago, in an interview on the podcast This American Life, Tig shared what happened in that class. It was so much fun, she began. At the end of every class, the teacher would let one kid play their favorite song from any record for the whole class to hear. I always brought in Beatles and Rolling Stones albums. One day, the coolest kid in school 
JD. He came up to me after school and asked, hey, if I bring in my dad's Rolling Stones album, will you tell me a cool song to play? I said, absolutely, no doubt. The next day, JD brought in the Rolling Stone album, Let It Bleed. I looked it over. I said, this song, play this one. And I pointed at, you can't always get what you want. He said, are you sure? I said, I could not be more positive. This is the coolest song you could possibly play. So when the teacher asked if anyone that day had a song to play, J.D. raised his hand. She called him forward. He pointed to the song. And at that point, this is what the entire classroom heard. J.D. was furious. He's looking at me like, what is this? And I'm frantically signing, no, 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 trust me, it gets better. But then the song continued. Nobody heard the rest of the song. The cool rock and roll part that was to come. Because J.D., the coolest kid in the school, marched down there, grabbed his record, and turned to me and said, Thanks a lot. I was like, no, it gets better. But I guess, I guess you can't always get what it is you want. I wonder if despite all the pomp and circumstance of Easter morning, I wonder if most of us this morning feel a bit like J.D. We want so much for the events of this morning to knock us off our feet and to radically alter the way we see things, radically alter our world. And then the morning comes, and while we feel a little bit better, and by the way, you can't have too many peeps, we feel a little bit better, if we're honest, we don't get exactly what we want. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the pivotal event in the Christian story, the moment that defines our faith, it does not put an end to injustice, answer all our questions, clarify all our personal issues, or bring everyone together in one big happy family. The resurrection does not give us what we want, but I wonder, I wonder, if it does give us what we need. We've all been captured, I think, by the passion and commitment displayed by the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. This past week, I watched an interview with five of the students on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, 
on the day before the National March. As I watched the interview, I saw something I did not expect to see. Despite their shared desire that no school would have to go through what their school went through, the students around that table talking to Trevor, they were not in lockstep. The events of that day did not eliminate all of their difference. They did not all agree on how to end school violence. They did not have the same, now have the same political leanings, and they certainly did not feel the same way about the authorities who promised to protect them. And yet, there they were, young people, staring death in the eye, proclaiming in word and in deed that there could be an end to gun violence in our nation. They stand at the entrance of a dark tomb and they believe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is simply not a cure-all. It does not eliminate struggle, pain, or indifference. The resurrection of Jesus Christ does not give us everything we want. But it does give us the one thing I think we all need to live, to live lives of purpose and meaning and passion. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. Several years ago, a rabbi died in England. His obituary told the story of how when he was a young kid, his family was imprisoned in a Nazi death camp. In the camp, they were given barely enough food to survive. All they had each week was some grain, a bit of stale bread, and a handful of lard. Despite their harsh environment, however, the family continued to observe the Sabbath. Each week, they managed to scrounge up a candle and a little bit of food so they could recite the Sabbath prayers, prayers that spoke of God's sovereignty, God's goodness, and God's eternal love. One week, however, there was no candle to light. So when the evening came and the Sabbath was at hand, the boy's father took some of the precious lard and molded it around a string. Lighting the makeshift candle, he began to lead the family in the Sabbath prayers. The son, the young son, was so enraged at his father. When the prayers were done, he confronted him. How could you do that, he asked his father. How could you waste what little lard we have to make a candle when that's the only food we have? His wise father answered him, Son, without food we can live for several days. Without hope we cannot live an hour. The unity of purpose and passion we desperately need as a people to address the complex problems of our time, and they are complex and they are real. The unity of purpose and passion we need will not come through shared beliefs or practices or even political points of view. The unity of purpose and passion we will desperately need to address the complex problems we face will only come, I believe, from our willingness to hold on to one thing, and that is hope. And hope is not easy to hold on to in times like these because hope requires two things. It requires an honest look at the way things are. We have to look into the tomb. But at the same time, hope requires a bold proclamation of the way things can be. Hope sees what it is and then works for something better. Hope is the only antidote I know to the crippling realities of cynicism, 
nostalgia, and denial. As Holocaust survivor Eli Wiesel once said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, the opposite of life is indifference. I believe on Easter Jesus clearly names the agenda If we love, if we engage the world, if we allow ourselves to see and feel the pain of it all, in a way, it's going to crucify us. Standing at the door of an empty tomb will cause us, like Mary, to grieve. So much so, we may prefer to remain aloof or detached or disconnected from the troubles of our world. But we can't be aloof, detached, and disconnected for that is not the way of Christ. I've been doing this now for 17 years, which is hard to believe. And for 17 years of ministry, I have wondered what would happen if a church I served focused its energy, its talent, its privilege, its power, and its resources on tackling one or two or three core societal issues. So often, in my experience anyway, churches try to be all things to all people. We do a little bit here and a little bit there, offering charity, which is good, but we offer charity when what is really needed is complete and utter transformation. For 17 years of ministry, I've hesitated to challenge a congregation to focus its energy, talent, privilege, power, and resources on tackling one or two or three core societal issues. And I've been reluctant, not because that would mean the tabling of some beloved mission programs. That'd be hard, but we could do that. Or redirecting precious financial resources. That'd be difficult, too, but we can manage that. I've hesitated to push a congregation I serve to focus on one or two or three core issues because I know, you know, we know, transformation is hard. To change the world, we have to see the world, and that is not easy. It is really hard to stand at the foot of a tomb and look inside and still believe in the promises of God. It is hard to see and believe. Which takes us back to the events of that first Easter morning. We may not get everything we want with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Life is still hard and confusing and full of uncertainty. But because Jesus died and rose again, we have everything we need to get out there and make this world a better place. Because where other people see death, we see life. Where other people see impossibility, we see the potential for something amazing and new. Where others see insurmountable difference, insurmountable divides, we see an opportunity to form a new kind of community, a new kind of family based on grace, peace, and love. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we as a people have everything we need to stand up against the darkness, the division, the pain, the death, and the injustice. We have everything we need to shout from the rooftops, there is another way. And we can shout that with confidence while looking down at the world we're called to serve because we know that life and not death has the last word for all of God's children. We know in Christ, right now, God is making all things new. We know 
We know that Christ is risen, which means we can rise up to meet any challenge together. In a moment during the hymn, you will have the chance to sign up to participate in what we're calling a listening campaign put on by our Serve Council. There are yellow cards in your pew racks there. By writing your names on those yellow cards and placing them in one of these bowls up front, you are expressing your desire to meet with someone to share with them where you believe we as a people should direct our time, our talent, and our resources to make our community and our world a better place. Whether you're a member, a friend, or a first-time visitor, we want to hear from you. Now, when you sit down and talk with a trained listener, you're going to have to answer three questions. The first is, if you could change one specific thing that would make life better in our greater Cleveland community, what would that one thing be? What specific issues keep you up at night? What are your hopes for the mission of Fairmount as we move forward together in faith? We want to hear from you, all of you, the young and the old, as we look to leverage our time and talent and our treasure. This is a privileged group. We are a powerful group. We have connections and influence and experience and wisdom and faith and might, grace and kindness. I mean, imagine what could happen if we, as a community of faith, mustered up inside of us the courage and the commitment to address the core issues of our time. Imagine what could happen if we took all the talent and power and privilege and resources of this community and directed all of it to making our community more safe and welcoming to immigrants and refugees, or ending the opioid epidemic in Cuyahoga County, or ensuring that every kid in Cleveland grows up above the poverty line, or transforming our criminal justice system, or putting every foster kid in the city into a safe home, or protecting and renewing our city's natural resources. Impossible, you probably would say. Those things are too big for us to tackle. In response, I would say to you one thing. Christ is risen. Christ is risen, which means nothing is beyond our reach. Alleluia and amen.